great to have you here this morning, and it's great to be uh, really being able to lift up the name of Christ in so many different ways. uh, We're in a series here called In Living Color. We launched it Easter Sunday, In Living Color. We were talking about what it means to have this vibrant uh, life with Christ that is world-altering. It gives you a whole different view, but it's more than just perspective. He begins to literally change us in living color. And what does that mean? And what does it look like? Well, it all starts with the truth that Jesus Christ, he died on the cross. He gives us hope. He gives us forgiveness. But more than that, he is risen from the dead. Man, our Savior, he is risen. Everybody just say, he is risen. risen. Man, and that's what we're talking about. In living color is about life with Christ. He is risen into glorified life. And so we can have life with him. And What does that look like? What does that mean? And we've been looking at different facets along the journey, and today we're going to be looking at what we would call a splash of unity. We're staying with that painting theme, right, in living color, and so from a painting perspective, a splash of unity, and we do not experience the vibrancy with Christ unless we're drinking deep of the richness of unity, being able to figure out what it is to experience the oneness as God has planned, all right? So turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1, as we talk about unity here. Point one here is walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. If we're going to experience unity, we must walk in a manner worthy of Jesus, He starts out here, Paul does, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He starts out, I therefore, and when we see the word therefore, we say, what's the therefore, therefore? It's a connecting word, right? What's the therefore? Therefore, it has a purpose. It's connecting this to the prior. What is he connecting it to? And uh, if you look back into chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, it's this giant statement on theology. The truth of who you are with your God. The truth of life you have with your king. And what it means and the hope you can have in him. I just wrote a few down going through the chapters. We're promised that we are chosen that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven, that we are sealed with the Spirit, that salvation is a guarantee, that we are enlightened, that we are alive, reconciled, that we are fellow heirs, like all together we are able to take in this inheritance, that's what heir means, We can take in this inheritance where we are all as family now, brothers and sisters of the family of the king, heirs to an inheritance of eternity that is unbelievable. Man, as we walk through the truth of Ephesians 1 through 3 and the greatness that we have in him, if you trust in Christ, if you believe he is risen from the dead, if you say, yes, Lord, you're in charge, take over in my life. These things are yours, chosen, redeemed, forgiven, sealed, enlightened, alive, reconciled, fellow heirs. Now he starts Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy. Paul's a prisoner for the Lord. 
He literally is in prison because of Jesus Christ. He shared the truth of Christ, and so they put him in jail, and he's writing from jail. This is not a metaphor. He's not like, it seems like prison. He's not like, it feels like prison. It is prison. He literally took a stand for Christ, and they deemed it against the law, and so they put him in jail. Man, when we follow Christ, hear me, he is your king. And right now, we're in an America that ends up saying, you know what, you're free to have a speech of various sorts, and that's being challenged moment by moment as we go forward. And know this, there is a point where we may have to take a stand for Christ and say, he is my king. And the government may say, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus in some way like that. You have a choice to make. Paul said, I'm telling you, if the choice is my king or the law, then my king wins. Every time we serve the law, every time we listen to a man who's in charge, please hear me, super important, every time we listen to a man who's in charge, as to the Lord. Always grasp that. Through them up to your God. And if your God is like, that's not where I'm going, that's not what I want, then we're standing with our God. Ready? And all of God's people said, and Paul's like, yeah, put me in prison and I'll take that stand every moment of every day. And uh, a prisoner for the Lord, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy, to walk literally your daily living, your choices, your actions, your growth in Christ. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. Make sure that your daily life, the decisions you make, the actions you take, the words you share are lived in a manner or a way that is worthy of the calling of which you have been called. Worthy. Literally, the word worthy means that it reflects accurately. That's worthy. It reflects accurately. Make sure your walk accurately reflects your calling. Worthy. That there's an honor and a respect for who Christ is, and you're showing that. But it's more than just honoring. It's accurate. It's a real reflection of who Jesus Christ is. That's what he's talking about. Worthy. It's a proper reflection and a proper honoring of who Christ is. He says, maybe you walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. And Jesus Christ, he died for us and he rose again. He is offering to us forgiveness of sin that we do not deserve. It is mercy unbelievable. It is poured in in ways we could not imagine. Praise God. And man, may we live grasping that this salvation is rich and free. May we live celebrating that Jesus Christ gave his all for you and for me. Worthy. May we live in a manner that properly reflects and honors that sacrifice. Him for me, that's my hope. And so now I live for him. Now it's me for him. May Christ get all the glory. And that's a huge deal. He says, literally, I urge you to make sure your daily walk and thought and talk is in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. And now he gets into some description of how. See, if he just ended there and he's like, just make it worthy, then every one of us has to go home and go, I wonder what that means. I wonder how I do that. And Paul's like, let me be super crystal clear. 
Let me help you out. And so now he gives some explanation here. He says, with all, uh, with how much? With all humility. Uh, Let me just describe that word first. Humility. Uh, Just so you know, this is a word that was literally a description of what a slave should act like in their time frame. This word humility in the biblical time frame was a slave term. It was viewed as a vice. If this was used of you, dude, you had a problem. Like this was a bad thing. You were acting like a slave, one of those lowly, like not fully a person people, horrible viewpoint towards life on things. And this word, Paul ends up capturing it and saying, no, it's super accurate for what we need to be walking with because we actually are slaves of Jesus Christ. He uses the term doulas, a bond slave. We owe him. He is our king. May we live appropriately with all humility. This phrase was sort of a vice at the time. It means, please hear me on this humility. It doesn't mean thinking low of yourself. Okay? It's not bad self-esteem or something, if you want to say it that way. Humility. It's not thinking low of yourself. Obviously, clearly, it's not thinking high of yourself. I'm awesome. I'm unbelievable. Like, it's not that either. So what really is it? Well, many would say it's not thinking about yourself at all. I would be a little careful with that statement. Um, Humility doesn't mean you completely obliterate yourself, okay? But I grasp what they're going after. They're like, it's so easy to make it about me that maybe I should always strive to just make it about the others and let's see how that goes, right? And, but just so you know, real humility, it doesn't just consider me. Real humility doesn't just consider the few that I want to put my arms around. Real humility considers the all. And it makes sure Christ is on the top, Jesus is on the top. It makes sure that others are being managed and cared for properly. And then you're putting yourself there last making sure you're managing that way. Have you ever heard that acronym before, by the way? Joy, Jesus, others, you. It's a great recipe for going after humility and experiencing joy. To be able to say, Lord, I want you first and foremost in my life, Jesus. And Lord, help me to look around to the needs of others and the hurts of others and the cares of others and let me pour into them others And then, Lord, help me to care for myself as well in this wisely as I bring myself to the foot of the table and I care for what you want, God. Your time, your terms, whatever you say, with all humility and uh, this huge deal that we grasp, with all humility. Now, uh, in America today, you might hear some people say, you know, humility's not bad. I mean, it's got its place. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's got its place. You know, but the reality is that's not what Scripture says. With all humility. It's not, I bring humility sometimes, right? And then other times, nah, not bringing humility right now. Right now, I'm bringing me in living color, man, right? I'll use your term from your sermon series. I'll bring me in living color. Everybody say, that's not the plan, right? With all humility. Lord, help me to find what you're doing in this world and help me to care for those around me with all I've got. And if you don't start with this, the rest of these get rough fast with all humility. And then it says, and gentleness. Gentleness. Literally, if you look it up, it says, uh, not rude, not rough, not self-asserting, not running over the top of, 
gentle, careful. Watch the tone, watch the words, watch the actions, watch the forcefulness. Not rude, not rough, taking care of along the way. Then it says, with patience, with patience. Literally, this word means long-suffering. If you look it up in the original language, it actually starts with the word large or long. And it's like, literally, there should be lots of pain. That's patience. Really putting up to a point where it kind of, it's hurting, right? And we're sort of like on this plan more. Hey, man, I'll be patient. I mean, you know, until it starts hurting. And then I'm out, right? And actually, by definition, if we're in on patience, it'll be when it starts to hurt that we're actually beginning to engage this word. Long suffering. Coming alongside and beginning to put up with at various levels, if you will. To, to remain under and to be careful along the way with this patience. And uh, never giving up. I love this definition I found this week. This is a powerful one. Patience. It's when you are able to avenge, but you choose not to. Patience. When you are able to avenge, but you choose not to. And think about the culture of America today and what we really teach about. Stand up for yourself, right? Make sure they know what you think about. You have an opinion. You let them, right? Be careful. The world is teaching no patience. And the world is teaching, man, you assert yourself with all you've got. God is saying quite the opposite. He's saying, don't avenge yourself. Don't choose that path. Choose not to. Humbly and carefully don't give up, long-suffering along the way, hang in there, patient with a purpose. The purpose is not just to suffer, the purpose is to see God do a unity work along the way. Patience with a purpose, right? And a huge deal. It says with patience, bearing with one another in love. I'm telling you, if we can't get the humility thing, the rest of this just starts falling apart fast. Bearing with one another in love. Literally concerned for their well-being, okay? But, but honestly, you're, you're taking a hit here or there. That's what bearing with one another means. Look, man, we just talked in the last week here. Last week we were talking about sin and that all of us have sin in our lives. All of us are headed down this path. And, and please hear me, like we talked about the bowling alley last week, right? And the two gutter balls, the one gutter ball. Well, I'm saved and Christ's grace poured on me and and it's great that grace abounds in forgiving, so I guess I'll just sin all the more. I'm just going to keep sinning with all I've got, and God can keep forgiving. And that's, that's awesome, grace abounding. That's a gutter ball, right? But the other gutter ball on the other side is, has to be absolutely perfect, not one mistake. Cannot miss it. Perfectionism is a gutter ball. It drills you into shame. It leaves you hanging there with your head low saying, how could I have made that mistake again? And just hear me on this. God loves you and God knows your struggle and he knows exactly which sin is hard and he knows it's coming up again and God's got a plan. God isn't calling us to perfection. He's calling us to progress one degree of glory at a time progress one degree of glory at a time being in the middle of the bowling alley lane in the middle of the lane it's progress not perfection that's a huge deal we grasp that 
right? If we all understand that every one of us has sin, right? Every one of us, just say, I have sin. All right. Some of you are like, the guy next to me did not just say that. And uh, Go ahead. You can just turn to each other and say, no, seriously, we have sin. Go ahead and just say it. All right. Now you get to turn and say, no, seriously, you have sin. Go ahead and say it. Right, here's the reality. We all are struggling, right? We're not perfect, and we're in progress. Bearing with one another literally means there's times where their sin will wash on your shore. Hang on. Patience. Bearing with means you're going to literally carry that load for a moment, okay? Bearing with, to be able to tolerate when their sin washes on your shore. Bearing with one another in love. Why? Not because you're afraid of conflict. In love. Because you care for them. And right now, jamming down on perfectionism is not what gets it done. In love, okay? But please hear me, there is another side to this coin. If bearing with one another in love becomes, I will never ever talk about your sin, and we will never ever get to a conversation about what needs to change, we're missing it too. Because there are passages that call us out to very clearly, in love, stand beside someone and say, that needs to change, right? That hurts too much. And I, I would just put these words to it. If it's harmful or habitual, man, there's a time to step in then. If it's the first time you've ever seen them do that, you really probably need to be bearing up under love, right? Bearing up. But if it's the first time you've seen them do it and it's absolutely grievous, harmful, then stepping in. The measure on bearing up with one another in love is literally, if there's harmful and habitual, then we need to take to the next step. Otherwise, let that wash on your shore and hang on, praying for them, longing for the best for them. Are you willing to live a life in your home that allows their sin to wash on your shore? Are you literally willing to be walking with your spouse and understanding that they tend to fall into this moment of and something happened, but it seems to not be deeply harmful and habitual, so I let that wash on my shore? Or are you literally making your home a walk on eggshells, everything better be perfect? I expect absolute, stunning, glorious perfection here. Please hear me. Glorious, stunning perfection is coming. It's coming. But it's in eternity, praise be to God, as he does the final work in this side of heaven, in the lane, is progress without perfection. And all of God's people said, huge deal that we grasp, the patience and the bearing up with one another in love. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, eager to maintain the unity, eager. Notice he does not say, you know, just kind of willing. Well, I hope so. I mean, it'd be nice if we had unity. That'd be nice. We'll see what happens. No, eager, longing, desiring, diligent. That's what the word literally means. Some of your translations even say that. Diligent, going after it, focused on it, eager to maintain. Please note what it does not say. Eager to self-generate or create unity. Unity is not yours to make. Unity is yours to keep. Holy Spirit makes the unity, we keep the unity or destroy it. Unity, it's something that we take down 
or we maintain, but we do not create it out of nothing. The Holy Spirit creates unity. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. As he comes into your life, as you trust Christ and are saved, God does this changing work in you, and there starts to be this call together of oneness, and unity begins to be experienced. And we begin to celebrate who he is. Man, we need to protect the unity. We need to nurture the unity. We need to keep the unity. There's moments where we need to be bearing with one another to keep the unity. And there's moments where we need to say harmful and habitual. We have to step in and speak to help keep the unity. Unity, it must be the key. That Jesus Christ gets all the glory and please hear me on it. None of that is there unless you're fueled by, Lord God, I know you and humility is where I stand with you then all of this really can start rolling. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The word unity, literally oneness. If you look it up in the original language, it literally says oneness. The word one is built right into it. Oneness. That's what unity is. The oneness of it all is what we're to be grasping. It says, in the bond of peace, when the Holy Spirit comes into us, he literally begins to bring a peace, a calm in the middle of whatever storm is going on peace. Holy Spirit presence brings peace in the bond of peace. As we take little hits here and there, bearing with, as we share into sin here and there, longing for God to do a work, looking for a massive shaping of my soul and theirs, that God might get all the glory. That's what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy. Ready? And all of God's people said, man, have you ever gone out early morning on a hike? Maybe you've been out on a vacation. You go to an area where there's like a hill, maybe even a mountainscape that's out in front of you. There's this giant, um, either this lake or pond or something way bigger, but it's absolutely placid. There is like no movement at all. It is complete stillness on the water. And as you look with the sun coming up, you can see actually the hills up there and the flowers and the trees and they are reflected down into the water perfectly. Have you ever been there? Maybe you've seen the paintings or a picture and you got to reflect on that instead, right? But whatever it is, imagine that pristine moment of perfect reflection. That's what he's calling us to be of our God. Like literally... If you looked down into the water, you would see the mountainscape and the trees and the flowers and whatever, and you're like, I know what it looks like up there because I see it right here. He's asking us to be that perfect reflection that we're walking worthy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Simple question. When people see you, know you, and walk with you, are you that placid, clear reflection of your Savior? By them knowing you, are they able to know who Jesus Christ is? That's walking in a manner worthy. I'm telling you, it starts with humility. And it moves from there. May Christ get all the glory. It is one step at a time. Have you ever noticed, by the way, with those placid lakes, if you walk over and you just grab a big rock or a boulder, and you're just like, and it goes, and all of a sudden the ripples start going out, right? What's the next thing that happens? 
the reflection is just all distorted up. Lord, may there be no ripples on my lake. May I walk in a manner worthy. And all of God's people said, don't make up the description. Go right to the passage. It gives you the words right there to what to go after, starting with humility and moving from there. Number two, live and celebrate the oneness we have in him. Live and celebrate the oneness we have in him. It says there is one body. How many bodies? Say it loud, say it big. You're going to be saying this a lot, okay? There's seven ones in this section. Okay, seven, it's the perfect number of God. It reflects completeness. He did seven different things that he brings up one about here. And he starts from the outside and he moves all the way up to the top, kind of a headship thing as he moves up to the top. And you'll see salvation brought out in this thing all the way along the way. He says, one body, literally all those who trust Christ, all those who believe he is risen from the dead and confess him as Lord, across the whole globe, all are one body, all right? There is one massive church, capital C Church. There is one massive us, capital U, us. There is one body and we are all in it. There is one together, right? And we all together make up one body. Uh, how many bodies? One. one. There is one body. And that's a huge deal that we grasp that we're starting with the oneness there. One body and one spirit. And uh, how many spirits? One. one spirit. And the Holy Spirit is who he's talking about here, capital S, who moves in this world, who shapes our hearts, who convicts, who points to Jesus Christ, who makes it clear that we need a Savior. Holy Spirit. There is one spirit who is moving in this world. He is our hope, our life. He brings the shape to us of what we need to know. And there is one spirit along the way in this journey. And a one who convicts and comforts and transforms. One who leads and guides and directs. And you are not alone. Holy Spirit with you. One. There is one body and one spirit. And then he says, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Uh, how many hopes? One hope of your calling. And uh, the one hope, huge deal. This is eternal life. This is a long-standing, uh, interest-bearing, God-glorifying inheritance. This is God-rocking your world forever. Hope. We hope in a transformation where this sin is done, where glorification is on, and we get to be with him forever. Jesus' work as he has victory over sin and victory over death, hope. Man, we are not left alone, and we will not struggle. This will be done in eternity. We have hope. And all of God's people said, amen, man, don't miss it. We have hope. As we rally together and we look forever to eternity. In this side of heaven, we're rocking the progress one degree at a time. That's what we're rocking. Lord, may you be shown off. One hope. One Lord. Now we're getting into who Jesus Christ is. We were talking about God, the third person, the Holy Spirit. Now we're talking about Jesus Christ. One Lord. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus Christ and to his glory. Jesus is master. 
He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is the head of the body. So there is one body, and now there is one king over that body, one Lord, right? And we have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord. Please hear me. There is one Savior, and his name is? Man, his name is Jesus Christ. We lean on him, and we trust in him, and he brings us the hope for eternity. uh, An awesome moment we have to celebrate him. And... um, Next one, one faith, one faith. There is literally only one way to be saved, one faith. There is one way to be saved. Uh, how many ways? One. Right. You said that boldly, you said that strongly. I just want to make this really clear. And the world completely disagrees. Right? The declaration is many. The declaration is any. Do whatever. God's statement, one, Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And man, hear me, let's go back to that humility word. We do not come to this arrogantly. We do not proclaim this into the world with some kind of brashness because we needed that Savior. And we come humbly and gently. Lord God, you changed my life and I rep you with all I've got. There is one Savior, his name is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross and he rose again and he brings hope. We trust in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, one faith. Don't ever miss it. The world is constantly trying to say, I don't know, maybe two or three, maybe 10 or 100. Why not just let anybody do whatever they want? One. Jesus Christ is our hope and we lean on him with all we've got. One faith. And a huge deal. It says one baptism. This is not talking about water baptism here. This is talking about the Holy Spirit coming in. If you look at the progress here, we have one body and then one spirit and then one hope, the eternal that's coming. And then one Lord, Jesus Christ over it. And then one faith as we believe in him and we trust that he is our God. Faith, as we believe he is risen, we confess him as Lord. You take over, that's saved. Now it says one baptism, as you are saved, Holy Spirit comes in. He takes up residence. He begins to climb in the boat with you. Remember we talked about this sea of selfishness and the boat that's floating on top, right? Our mind and spirit on top. And man, the Holy Spirit is building up that boat ever stronger and every once in a while the waters of the sea of selfishness just flood over. And please hear me. God knows, he's prepared, he gets it, he's not caught off guard. But know this, as we are in that boat, Holy Spirit takes up residence with us, capital S Spirit, in the boat with you. You are not alone. That is baptism. One baptism. And then it says, one God and Father of all. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. One God and Father of all. Literally, we can call him Daddy. But this means he on top, the Father, is sovereign over it all. Look at how he built this from the Spirit on the bottom to Christ in the middle to the Father on top. Don't miss that move in salvation. As the Spirit points to the Son and the Son brings us to the Father and all of this oneness in God. One God. Uh, How many gods and fathers are there? One. One God and Father of all. Daddy, Abba, Father. Sovereign over all, he is love. And it says here that he is over all. 
meaning sovereign in charge. He is through all, creative and sustaining as he keeps us together. And, uh, and then it says, and he is in you all, his imminent presence, power, and joy right here with you. You are not alone. Over all and through all and in all, he is one. You know, back in Deuteronomy, there's this awesome quote, and I love this from the Hebrew. I'm going to quote it in the Hebrew here. And uh, it's the Shema. It's a call to oneness. It says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. From all the way back, as God was revealing who he was to Israel, he said, one, that's the message. Hear me, one. What do we need to know about our God? One. Say it louder, say it bigger. What do we need to know? One. It is oneness in our God. And so we bring unity, oneness. As we bring it together, it is not about the little you, us. You know, me and a couple of my friends I really care about. And the capital U, forget all the rest of you, right? It's the capital U, all of us. It must be what's best for all of us as we move together. And we put our arms around the hole and we say, my God and Father who is over it all. And Jesus Christ who is helping bring it all. And the Holy Spirit who is convicting into it all. God doing an amazing work of oneness. Are you in with unity. Man, that's the message our God brings. Oneness. Everybody just say oneness. As we grasp that our God is one and that he is leading to one, our job is to maintain the one that God might get all the glory. And all of God's people said, let's pray. 